space this is it here we are let's be here now <laughs> episode five. Oh my god last week was a, a doozy um i'm still i've still been reflecting on it and thinking about it and all the murkiness and all that good stuff um you know, I, I, I don't have too much to say about it in reflection, actually. I think I'm sort of just recognizing the truth of it, particularly the part that I was talking about where you move to new states and inevitably that's just going to happen. That certainly happened. And then I went back into the murkiness and then I came out again. So I don't know all the, all the ways that I'll eventually one day reflect on that kind of thing, but I, I certainly think it was really valuable for me to dive into it and to talk about what I was experiencing in that way. I, th I think going forward, I'm definitely not going to shy away from just recording a podcast anyway, regardless of really how I'm doing. I mean, you know, I don't want to go overboard, but even if I'm in a murky state or not doing so hot or whatever, I I'm really glad to just show up and be here and and based on what y'all said about sort of how how it affected you, I'm I'm so glad that it resonated, you know. So so here we are, episode five. And I have some things I have in mind that I want to talk about today. Um, but I also in this sort of intro section, I want to talk about my sort of plans for not necessarily a reading list, but basically an answer to what some of you have been talking about. And I really appreciate any input that you give me in the podcast. I mean, certainly I'm just going to do what I want and express however I need to express and let come out whatever's going to come out. But at the same time, hearing about what stands out to you and what feels good to you is huge. I mean, I love that because it it also shows me what's important to me too, you know, the way that I hear what different people say about what they think about the podcast. It reminds me what I got out of and what I still get out of listening to podcasts, particularly podcasts like this. So here's my plan. I'm going to post a reading list slash listening list because a lot of these books I've listened to onto the Patreon. And so it's going to be sort of a thing where it's like, if you want access to it you kind of got to be on the patreon that being said though i'm going to mention some of them right now just because i also want it to be accessible but i'll give like the full i wrote down like a list of books that i feel like i've come back to over the last year and a half two years and so in that respect i'm, I'm going to post the list and then what i'm thinking right now this might change but what i want to do then is if somebody is interested in hearing more about my own experience about a particular book and how valuable it is, it may turn into a podcast episode. 
but that depends more on how I'm really feeling and if I feel like I could do a whole episode on a particular book or something, which I probably could. But what I want to do is set it up so that if you want to hear about a particular book or you have a question about it or you're like, Jack, why this book? What did it do for you? I'm going to have like special Patreon only episodes where I'll talk for like 10, 15 minutes or something like that or longer or shorter about a particular book. So here's the list that I have. So, and this is sort of in order, chronological order, and also sort of thematically in order in a, in a particular way. But basically going from sort of the beginning of my, what I can remember as being my like foray, is that the word? Foray into my spiritual practice. It began really with the Tao Te Ching. Um, Taoism is a, for whatever reason, it was a way that my sort of atheistic tendency felt like it could not, like my mind that was so attached to being atheistic was, and, or agnostic. I mean, in some ways I'm still agnostic, but, um, atheistic in particular, the Tao Te Ching sort of like worked around that, I feel like, and sort of was a little bit too mystically like confusing to my atheistic ego mind. And so because of that, it was a really great entryway into my spiritual practice. And from there, I sort of got like 365 Tao by Deng Ming Dao, which I've like even quoted before, I think on the first episode. And then there's a book called The Tao of Physics. And so again, I'm going to be listing all of these on, on the Patreon page. And then of course, there's like Ram Dass and, and Be Here Now and some other things. And, um, and then there's also, I think a lot of people have heard about this book before. Um, it's called The Power of Now, and it's by Eckhart Tolle or Tolle. Um, the reason I think that that's such a great book for any spiritual practitioner, any spiritual seeker, any mystical person to read is because it it's really helpful in reminding you that anything that you experience in terms of your spiritual practice ultimately can be accessed and almost translated to the contemporary world. Not to say that it should be. I think that spiritual practices and particularly traditions should be able to have the the depth to the inner experience and experiencing the tradition from the inside out. But we live in a society, we live in a society we live in a world, we live in a sort of functioning uh, amalgamation of relationships in which not everybody is going to come from the same spiritual tradition, particularly in the United States and just the Western world. We're so, we have so many choices and so many things going on. And I think books like The Power of Now can be really, really helpful in terms of having sort of a solid foundation that is based in words and understandings that are harmonious with the scientific mind because i think science is a part of our i mean science is this era's spiritual practice in some ways our spiritual tradition is is science in, in many ways um i could go into more of that and and thinking about more of that but all that to say is i think it's a great book for bringing things into harmony now that being said i know a lot of people that that was the book that opened them up and that's huge that's pretty amazing because it it gives you a an understanding of the language so that you're not so hung up on any particular religious or spiritual terms per se, 
and you sort of think of it just in terms of bringing consciousness to things and presence and you know the sort of the ways that Eckhart Tolle talks about things so I found that to be really helpful um the books after that that I've really loved I mean certainly The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron that's huge particularly for artists but really for anybody because we're all creators creative people we're all creators we we create things and it's just a matter of appreciating how we do it um the other books that I'm going to mention quickly before I kind of move on from this intro and talk about sort of the the protein of the podcast is uh Ramana Maharshi Be As You Are which is basically a, a Q&A sort of uh, amalgamation of chapters and of understandings that uh, Ramana Maharshi, who is sort of like a guru in, I forget exactly what time period, I believe it was the early 1900s, um, early mid-1900s, uh, he, he was sort of similar to Eckhart Tolle, he had just a moment of an awakening experience and his ego dissolved. And at that point, he had full sort of identification with the capital S self, with God, with universal consciousness, however you want to think about it. Ultimate presence, totally in the moment, wh whatever, however you like to use to understand full awakening. Um, and similar to Eckhart Tolle, who had an experience similar to that um, when he had a mental breakdown, Ramana Maharshi thought he was dying as a teenager, I think at 15 or 16. And he let himself die basically, but he didn't, his body didn't actually die. And so then at that point he accepted his own death then and there, rather than having to wait till the end of his life to do it. And so that kind of culminated in a particular awakening experience. And he uh, had many texts, I guess, that came out of his existence but much many of his teachings were silent teachings and the students own perceptions were he kind of just allowed the students own perceptions to unfold what was going to unfold and awaken them and this book be as you are is sort of that in a book and it begins with the most direct straightforward obvious kind of literal way of doing it and then it gets more and more complex as you go through the book and so I haven't even made my way all the way through because I've been so focused on the first part of the book, but it's so good. So then after that is this book called The Holy Science by Sri Yukteswar. And that I love because it's sort of, he gets into sort of the, the yugas, which are sort of the periods of time in which basically humans exist as humans, as God, as whatever, and awaken at different times. And I don't want to go too far into it. One, because I have more to understand about it. Um, I've certainly listened to the book on audiobook several times and, and worked through it. And I kind of understand the way that the yugas work and, and how it's related. But I think it's the kind of thing where it's best if you just experience it. And then if you're curious about what I think about it, I can, you know, certainly add to it. Um, and then after that, Neville Goddard, The Power of Awareness, that's huge for me. I mean, a lot of Neville Goddard talks and things I love, but The Power of Awareness is, is a text that is built on his talks um, and it was from transcriptions of his talks. And I really love it because that was sort of my entryway into Christian mysticism. So yeah, the, it went from like the Tao Te Ching, which was like, okay, maybe I don't have to be super atheistic and I can lean into a little bit of faith somehow here and there. 
to really into Christian mysticism at the end where I'm at now. And not to say I'm not still listening to the Tao Te Ching or reading it or whatever, whatever. I, I'm, I'm now kind of using whatever um, spiritual practices and mystical understandings help me in my spiritual path. Um, I think where I've incarnated to is in a, it, it has me in a place where I am ready and able and willing to expose myself to the different ways in which I can awaken and different parts of my consciousness need different kinds of things to awaken. So you might have something like, you know, like the way Ramdas talks in Be Here Now, which was like the first, you know, five years of his awakening process when he had another, you know, 40 years, 45 years to go in his lifetime and his inner incarnation. But Be Here Now, a lot of it is about turning yourself into sort of sort of a burning incarnation where you burn off all your karma and get rid of your attachments. And then later Ram Dass is not so hung up on that, you know, it, it's a little more relaxed and understanding that whatever you're dealing with, including your desires is a part of your incarnation. So I have a lot of different ways in which different things have been helpful to me because you then get to like Neville Goddard's The Power of Awareness. And it is about not just desires, but this the sacred aspect of your desires that they're gifts from god and that you use them in order to awaken so there's a whole array of different ways in order to awaken and what i love about sort of the way that my path has gone is that i am in a place where it having all these different things that seem like they don't go together it shows you what is underlying which is that they are all getting you to the same mountaintop and this is a, a metaphor that I, has, I feel like has been used in a bunch of different traditions, which is that we're all climbing the same mountain. We're all, as Ram Dass talks about, walking each other home. And the question is, do you like this path better? Do you like this path better? Do you like climbing on the rocks a little bit more dangerously? Do you like just walking in a, in a, you know, a calm, relaxed incline that takes a bit longer but is more relaxing? You know, there are all different ways to do it. And I... I'm kind of in a place where you experiment, you know, I'm, I've been experimenting the last year and a half of which ways I find to be most helpful. And what happens is you kind of get to a point where you start to create your own religious practice. And that's sort of the nomadic way of going about one's spiritual practice, really. And yeah, and so now it's been like 15 minutes of me talking about this reading list. So if you want to hear more about any of these particular books um, or any other books that I've read, or if you're like, Jack, I'm reading this one and it's amazing. I would be totally down to, you know, do some kind of Patreon episode or whatever. Or maybe if I'm super into a book, then I'll just make a whole episode about it. That's definitely going to happen at some point doing almost like reports on different books. Um, but I, and I have more, there are more books that I've read that I'm currently reading that are, are really helpful to me. So I'll talk more about that and that'll be in the reading list on the Patreon. All right. So the protein of today's episode is not much different from me talking about this reading list. It's actually very involved and, and in some ways making the reading list and thinking about the reading list got me to a place where I really wanted to talk about this in sort of a, I guess, reflective way. And, I, and I'm glad to be able to kind of go through this reading list to kind of prime myself for it, which is what is spiritual practice? How do I define it? 
how did I even get to this place where I have a practice? Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know? Um, and what is it like to adapt it into like our societal understanding of spiritual practice? Like, what is it like for me with my own practice to be absorbed into this society's definition of spiritual practice? Because it's in terms of the sort of Western contemporary contemporary world, it's been around for a bit. And how do I think about my practice now from where it was when it began? All right. So what is spiritual practice? To me, spiritual practice is about, and it is, the ways in which you adjust, manage, conversate with your relationship to reality. It is a way in which you adjust yourself to said reality. And what I sort of mean by that is that it has to do with not so much what reality is, certainly that's fun, but it has more to do with your relationship to this reality. So in my case, I have a bunch of different practices that modulate the way in which I experience the world, experience myself, experience what I call reality. Part of why I say reality is because I think reality is like a malleable term. And I think throughout spiritual practice, it's good to be able to recognize the malleability of a lot of these terms that I, I know in my life I've taken for granted. So, for example, if I am tripping on acid, right, and I'm meditating at the same time, and I'm deep in meditation, my relationship to reality is modulated a lot. It's so, it's so adjusted and modulated that the question of what reality is becomes not necessarily insignificant, but I, the, the line between me and reality changes. It falls away. And so when I say relationship to reality, it then becomes more about this interplay, this relationship between one aspect of an existence to another aspect of an existence, rather than it being Jack's relationship to the world or Jack's relationship to reality. And so that's sort of what am I what I mean by relationship. It it really is about how do we understand the 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 stuff that's at play, the sort of, I'm going to take it into like metaphorical territory now because it gets pretty difficult. I feel like to just get it into one set of terms, which is something that I've really loved, which is the like waves on in an ocean. So for example, I as Jack am a wave and God is the ocean. And so when we're thinking about Jack as the wave is, is the wave, not the ocean, the wave is the ocean. Absolutely. And the, the way of sort of understanding that I am both the wave and the ocean at the same time and experiencing that to my core, that is spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is adjusting one's actual lived literal life experience to understand these what seem like mystical metaphorical terms. That none of these mystical metaphorical terms, spiritual terms, religious terminology are in my mind, meant to be abstract. They are here 
to show us literally what's going on if we are able to get past the fact that they are supposed to appear just as metaphors. And what that means is a spiritual practice that gets you into the subjective experience by using objective means. So what do I mean by like objective means? So this was something that I wrote about on my morning pages today. And oh boy, hopefully this is all making sense. Hopefully I'm not going too fast. If you have any questions about kind of like where my head's going, feel free to to ask, particularly like in the Patreon, I'll like, you know, clarify by just recording something or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, Because I'm definitely going into territory that's kind of new for me, but this is kind of the point of the podcast. So I'm kind of excited about it. But so, yeah. So in my pages today, I was thinking about this, the way that my relationship to reality works using my spiritual practice and how, so for example, when I'm in meditation, when like sitting meditation, I've got a cushion in my room. I've got a little altar with uh, the cover of Be Here Now with a sort of a page out of Be Here Now that's these are all sort of like fabric that that's like uh, tapestry like things. They, I think they're called prayer flags, um, at least when I got them. And it says you're standing on a bridge watching yourself go by. And then there's like a cushion with a blanket and a pillow. And it's looked that way, you know, for the last probably year and a half at least. And my sort of practice is that when I get up in the morning, after I do my morning pages, I move over to this seat, I sit down, I close my eyes, I say a little bit of like a meditation in my head to ease myself into letting go of what I got to let go of. And then I go into meditation and either count my breaths and focus on the counting, or I just do sort of a Vipassana style where I just breathe and I let everything come to me. And I kind of occupy this sitting position, both physically and in my mind. And all of these different things, all of these objective things, like the uh, objective experience of looking at the prayer flags, the objective experience of sitting on the cushion, of folding the pillow over so it gives me a nice place to sit, of putting one leg over the other, all these different things, of even the, the focusing on my breathing, all of these different things are objective aspects of my experience that in my spiritual practice I see is pointing to the subjective aspect of my experience. So what is the subjective aspect of my experience? In one sense, the more I try to talk about it, the less understandable it is, but there is a way in which I can sort of, at least in my pages, I found able to use the the way that I was talking about the objective experience, which I just went through to explain the subjective experience, which is that what all of these practices do, like when I sit down and all these little moments leading up to my meditation do, is they prime me. They sort of alert my body, which actually is alerting my awareness that it's time to let go. And the letting go, what what my awareness, what my consciousness what my ego does, all, all these, whatever, however you want to think about it, because it's all kind of the same in this kind of circumstance. What happens is this letting go that happens, that is the subjective experience. And I say letting go because I have to use objective terminology to describe it because that's 
you know, words are all objective terms, you know, it's the best we've got for communication. And so hopefully you can understand what I'm saying underneath all these words, which is that there's this letting go that happens that to say, is it because I sit down on the cushion and I focus on my breaths? I don't know if it's necessarily because of that. And I say that because it, over time, it's felt like within spiritual practice, the, the practices point you to the subjective experience that is available to you at all times. And when I say you, I mean me. This is my own experience. And so, you know, I have practices where it, it feels like my subjective experience and the adjustment that happens when I talk about in spiritual practice, it's about your relationship to reality. The modulation of my relationship to reality will happen even if I don't do those objective you know, practices of the meditation. That being said, it's super important to do it because I'm in a place where it's very helpful, but it's not the end-all, be-all. You know, it, it's not the, the whole point. The whole point is the subjective experience change. And that, for me, is something that I've been reflecting on, particularly since last week's episode, because I sort of like, I came back to like certain texts and talks and things that I hadn't sort of looked at in that le- probably like a year, maybe nine months. And I, re- and I remembered, oh yeah, this is not about subscribing only to one particular practice. This is about understanding how they're all talking about the same thing. They don't have to be. You can experience them all as different and that can be really fun. But I found what's most helpful to me and what kind of propels me along this path is recognizing that they're all talking about the same thing because it allows me to have this like really stable stream of my practice that just continues and continues and uses whatever it needs to use in order to awaken at different moments. And that's a sort of trust and faith in the, in the stream of the practice. Okay. So I want to talk about another. So I talked about sitting meditation, right? I want to talk about another practice that I do that sort of, I think exemplifies even better what I mean by sort of the objective versus subjective way of experiencing one's spiritual practice and the, I guess how this, what I'm going to talk about modulates my relationship to reality. So the other thing that I do is so it's in many ways, also a meditation. It's sort of a concentration meditation in some ways, uh, but not, not always. It, it kind of depends. But basically what I have is a chant. Some people, like a lot of people do mantra, but for whatever reason, I think it's because I, I wanted a mantra. I tried different mantras and things in my head that were like Buddhist or, or whatever, you know, different things that were sort of more like uh, monotone-like. But at a certain point, I just found my heart opening to a particular chant that comes from uh, Hindu traditions and the the chant is sort of like it is acts as a mantra but it's just with a melody and so it's it's in my head at all times basically for the most part um and what i did is i would sing it out loud i would sing it while i was in the shower i would sing it at different times and there were several moments and occurrences in my life when i would be singing it and singing along to a track or something and my heart really would open i would 
I mean, objectively speaking, I would just be bursting into tears. I would feel this tug of just, uh, you know, just feeling like I'm safe, but also at the same time, like I'm able to experience my pain. Um, there's so many ways to describe it, but in, in any sense, it's opened my heart. So in several, several times where now it's like, there's this golden thread to my heart opening and my self awakening with this particular chant. And it's, this kind of thing is different for everybody. I don't even think that everybody would, you know, benefit from using some kind of like audiation that they're doing in their head um, in order to do this. But I found for me, it's so helpful. I mean, it makes sense. I'm a, I make music, particularly lyrics and vocals. So of course, you know, doing something like this where I'm, I'm performing to myself basically is part of my spiritual practice. And so what this does is there is in some ways, particularly when I'm, because most of the time I'm doing this silently and, you know, I can feel it in the back right now. It's like, I'm talking here, but in the back of my experience, if I just allow it for a second, it's going, it's sort of like, uh, it's hard to explain, but it, this is something that I've, I've really learned a lot from Ramdas and the way that he talked about it. And I think it has to do with not just the fact that he did it so seriously, um, but also that he was sort of this Western person with a Western mindset that could explain it in these terms that another Westerner like me could understand. And I don't use what he used in his talks. I use my own thing that I kind of discovered, but, um, but it's also like very much so from him and from, you know, just singing that I've heard different people do. And it was just like one track that I found on YouTube somewhere and was like, Oh my God, this is, you know, I was just singing along to it once and it became so easy to sing. And I, it just opened me and opened me and opened me. And so because of that, it's like, that's the experience. And that was a subjective experience that happened to me. The feeling of opening is, it's so difficult to explain in objective terms. I mean, I can try by saying like, I started crying or I felt this tug in my chest, but it's a subjective experience that in many ways in relationship to myself, only I have access to. And that's why I use this particular chant in my head as part of my spiritual practice. And it keeps me in a place where not only does it keep me present and sort of alert and coming back to this understanding of myself, but it also brings me back to an understanding of my relationship to reality, like I was saying earlier. And that's why it's such a valuable spiritual practice to me and why I have no need to let go of it. I mean, letting go of it would probably be a beautiful thing in the same way that being able to let go of sitting meditation would be a beautiful thing because I would be able to be like meditating all the time. But do I need to be in a rush to do that, to be all like perfectly present? No, because there's, it's fun to go in and out and, you know, ride the waves and all that kind of stuff. So um, the one thing I wanted to add about the, the chant that I have in my head is, and that aspect of the practice is that it sort of, I, I talked about this in my pages. It sort of works like, imagine I've got this like golden thread in my awareness, you could say. Or if you want, want to think about it, let's talk about it like it's physical. Let's say that I've got this golden thread that not, isn't like taped to my body or anything, but it's sort of like wrapped around my arm and it's attached to a balloon, right? So the thread is not literally attached to me. Like it, it is, it is, it's moving on its own, but it is like wrapped around me. So it's not like the balloon is just going to float away that this golden thread is attached to, right? The, the balloon is kind of with me 
pretty much at all times. Now, because it's not, the golden thread is not literally attached to me, it's not like taped to my arm or something, it, it is not, like, I'm not like necessarily annoyed by it. I, it's not something that I feel at all times. It's just, if I look for it, oh, it's there. It's definitely there. If I look at my arm to see if the golden thread is attached, it's there. And what happens is if I focus on the golden thread and I actually wrap my hand around it and hold on and I let go a little bit, the balloon starts to take me up and I start to ascend a little bit. And then what happens is maybe I get into a situation where I have to think about this. I start to get overwhelmed. I start to have to do these things. I'm stressed out about this. That stuff makes it so that I'm not quite as, you know, letting go with the thread and I start to weigh myself back down. And so what the chant is, is it's this golden thread attached to a balloon. You could say the balloon in this metaphor is like ascendance or going deeper in. It doesn't have to be like ascendance, like hierarchically speaking. I kind of just mean like a, a floating, spacious, lighter way of experiencing reality, which is could also be associated with a, a deeper inner experience of reality. So this golden thread is attached to that experience of reality. And when I'm doing this chant or allowing this chant to just exist and I'm focused on that, um, it sort of takes me in that direction if I allow it to. And so because of that, there is, yes, I mean, there are objective experiences that happen. Like I could explain the audiation in my head and this repetition of this chant as a, you know, objective experience of, you know, very fine, subtle movements of sound within my head, you know, that kind of a thing. But there's something about the subjective experience that is happening to me that is ineffable. I cannot describe it other than with objective terms. And it is, it is a, it's a, it's a, an aspect of floating, of floating up, of going in, of sort of recognizing what else is around me. So if I'm caught up in a thought like, oh God, like, ah oh shit, like how am I going to get this song released at this time? And Oh, I got to get all the lyrics in there and they're all in my logic project and I don't have them in my notes. So I'm going to have to go into each file and put them in like all these kinds of thoughts of like my ego orchestrating things. A lot of that weighs me down and it kind of I, in some ways weighs me down. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the only and best way to describe it. It also sort of constricts my awareness. So if you could think about like, like if you have like a, a telescope or something and your it constricts your vision so you're looking at one part at a time that can be very useful but it's also limiting at the same time it's constricting and constrictive constricting both <laughs> and um and what happens is the you could imagine imagine the chant in my head being like all of a sudden the the telescope widens but doesn't have any less clarity and so that's sort of the, that's the way that it works is like it, it dilates my awareness in a way that is almost involuntary because I've put so much of my faith, love, effort, interest, awareness, care into cultivating this aspect of my sort of practice. 
um, yeah, so so that's another example of sort of a way in which my spiritual practice manifests. So how did I come to this practice? I basically, I think at a certain point, and I talked about this sort of in like the what's the point episode, I think you get to a certain point where it's not necessarily that you get bored of, or I didn't get bored of the world and the way in which I was understanding my relationship to reality. But what happened was, is I got so burnt out that even when I, for example, went some in a direction with what I was trying to achieve or do or whatever, it would be a dead end. And I would inevitably turn around and go back a different way and try the same thing again. You know, not, not necessarily the same thing like I was, you know, for example, basketball. I was trying to achieve a basketball. I wanted to be in the NBA. Then I was like, oh, I, I don't think I'll be tall enough for that. You know, all that kind of self-talk that we have as young teenagers or whatever time it was for you if you're into a sport and want to play, play professionally. And it, you know, it just, for whatever reason, it, you saw that it wasn't in the cards for you. And so then I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a dead end. So I'm going to go and try to achieve at skateboarding and I'm going to be a pro skateboarder. And then I get to a point where I'm like, damn, I still can't tray flip. And so I sort of, that becomes a little bit of a dead end. And so then I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go another way. And then I find music and I'm like, oh, I could be, I could be a super successful professional rapper, you know, and, and I'm going to go on tour and make a lot of money and be super successful. And, and, you know, I don't have to be super famous, but I'd like to be famous, you know, that kind of a, a way of going about it. Like I'm trying to learn from my past um, dead ends, but I still am trying to do the same thing. And you go through that kind of process where the objective experiences are different. Certainly this difference between playing basketball and skateboarding and making music, of course, those are different experiences, but my subjective experience of them was in many ways the same, not to say it was completely the same. Of course, I learn over time, even if I'm not conscious of it, but in many ways they were the same. And I, on this third run through of sort of this way of wanting to be super achieve mindset mentality, like super achieve, you know, um, really just achieve it all and, and be great and perfect and, and do it all and make all my bets worth it. That kind of a thing. I get to a point where shit, you know, I'm, I'm in my twenties now and I'm still living off of this kind of narrative and I can see that it's a dead end. Not that I need to stop music or need to stop playing basketball or need to stop skateboarding. I do them all still, but that the, the subjective experience was a dead end. The subjective experience of reality that I had was a dead end again and again and again. And so then at this point, and this was about, you know, two years ago, and I think, you know, two years ago, but then particularly during the pandemic is when I really dove in to my spiritual practice. So this is maybe a little over a year ago. I decided, okay, I, I, I can't have any more dead ends. I, I don't want more dead ends. I want opening. I don't want closing. And, you know, I think now how I came to my spiritual practice is wanting that. I long for no more dead ends. The end of dead ends, you know? And what that ultimately means is I'm yearning for God. I'm yearning for the universal consciousness for to be part of love, to be, 
you know, subjectively speaking, just a little guy on a big couch, just the biggest couch I can imagine. I just want to be lying on this couch and just relax and just totally relax and realize I get to lie on this couch and relax and jump around because it's such a huge couch forever. I can have fun. I can play. I can rest. I can sleep. All these wonderful subjective experiences and way of understanding things. I just, I yearn for that. I yearn to finally be able to relax. And it doesn't mean I don't want to achieve things, but ultimately I don't want to be achieving things thinking I need to achieve them. I want to achieve things from this place of being relaxed, like I'm always already enough. Um, and so when it comes to adapting my sense of spiritual practice into like what I view as society's view of spiritual practice, and this sort of also relates of how I think about my practice now from when I began, is that I can see that what my spiritual practice has manifested as is almost like twofold. In one sense, it really is the end of my dead ends. It is the opening moment and I can feel it happening. Oh my goodness. I can feel like the rush of goosebumps kind of happening. Ooh. And, and, um, yeah, that's interesting. So there's, there's a feeling like that's happening and that now it's just a matter of allowing it all to unfold. However, and this is, I definitely think as I became more and more open about my spiritual practice to my family, my friends, the world, is that it also started to become almost like the fourth chapter of me trying to achieve something. And I think that's related to the fact that, you know, I'm doing this podcast. This is part of my creative career at this point, ma making this podcast, clearly. I mean, I've got a Patreon now. I'm talking about this stuff on Twitch when I'm making music or whatever, talking about it with my friends, talking about it in terms of my creative pursuits. So now it's become a part of my lifelong path of different successes and achievements. It's not because I need to achieve, but because like that's the way I'm existing. Like I achieve things. I create projects, finish projects, put them out. You know, it's just the way I'm existing. And so in that respect, there's also this game that I'm sort of playing where my spiritual practice now versus when I began is now not this private thing that is almost inaccessible to my achievement mindset. Now my spiritual practice is accessible to my achievement mindset. And it is up to me to have this balance and harmony between the parts of me that want to achieve and desire success in a big way and the parts of me that realize that my spiritual practice in many ways is about being and seeing that I am so much more than any achievement that I could embark on, that I am so far beyond that, that any achievement are just, like I was saying earlier, just waves on the ocean, and that I can remember again and again and again that I am this ocean. And in that respect, I think my practice is much more eclectic now than it was when I started. When I started, it sort of felt like this private thing that was almost like this private hobby that I was sort of feeling like, oh, you know, I can't tell anybody that I do like this chant in my head. I, I, I was I was feeling like nervous about my altar that I have sort of, you know, my my puja area, puja. I sort of have like a puja table and a puja area. It's sort of 
uh, in different places. I, you know, it's just how it works for me, at least right now. I'm sure that'll change over time when I move to different places or whatever. But I, I understand my spiritual practice is something that I don't need to be scared to reveal um, because a lot of people are going through similar kinds of experiences as, as me and find interest in modulating their relationship to reality. And that's what I'm doing. That's that's the whole point of this is I'm learning and uncovering aspects of my subjective experience that are way, way more real, way more profound to my life than any objective experiences I could have. And that the objects of my experience are formed by my subjective perceptions. And appreciating that has been a huge part of my spiritual practice and continues to be more and more so, almost like it blows my mind every few months, you know, that kind of a thing. I mean, I come back to the same stuff and I'm like, oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, right. You know, that kind of a thing. So, yeah. I don't think I think about my practice in the way that I did at the beginning. I think my, my ego, which is in many ways, the part of me that's talking right now. I mean, the part of me that's talking right now, this Jack guy, is very much so my ego speaking about all of this stuff. And then there's a part of me behind this, which is sort of just behind the chant that is watching this and is like, yeah, dude, <laughs> oh boy, you're really working through this, aren't you? <laughs> you know, that kind of uh, uh, just noticing it and interest. Um, and the way my ego feels about this is sort of, um, or my ego mechanism or the ego relationship or the amalgamation of, you know, electric impulses that are happening in my awareness, uh, whatever you want to call it. I like saying the ego sometimes because it, it can be helpful in, in giving it a name, even if it doesn't really exist. <laughs> um, but certainly it exists in, in my perception of reality right now. So maybe one day I'll, my perception of reality will be that there is no ego. Um, but you know, I don't think I need to reject the ego at this point. I, I think I can affirm the existence of the ego insofar as it's helpful to me to move away from it and allow it to kind of dissolve on its own, you know, that kind of a thing, and realize I can be friendly um, to the parts of me that are scared of loneliness and and think about competition and want success and aspire all these things. I think many of these are wonderful things, and it's part of what makes me human. And um, I think that's a way that my spiritual practice has, has changed and how I view it differently is that my spiritual practice has become much more about allowing everything that I experience as a human, including all my past experiences and all the hurt and all the shame and all the suffering that I've either felt myself, felt like I caused or other people caused me or whatever, and accepting that it's all part of my life curriculum, uh, my soul's curriculum, and the reason that I'm here. And I'm grateful for that. And I, over time, I can feel that as I allow more of that, it will dwindle away into lighter and lighter states so that the states that I occupy will be, you know, just lighter, more spacious. So when I'm really overwhelmed about all this stuff that I have to do, or that I think I have to do, that I perceive that I have to do, that my ego thinks I have to do, it it goes from, you know, trudging through the mud to like 
sliding on the wooden floor in my socks, you know, that kind of a, a difference. And so not to say that I shouldn't be careful sliding on the wooden floor in my socks, like I might slip or something, but it is a lighter way of existing. And if I can find my balance there, then it'll remind me that I can always have faith in what I'm doing, in my practice, in myself. All right. Wow. So this has been a pretty fun episode, actually. I I hope that it made enough sense. I mean, certainly, I think for folks listening and you who is listening, at a certain point, you start to get the way that my mind is working and the way that I'm talking about things. So you start to be able to follow what you need to follow and let go of what you don't need to. Because I, the way I talk is certainly not like a, make sure you get everything I'm saying. It's more like a, let's just hang out here under this shower of Jack's thoughts coming straight out from his head, stream of consciousness, and just experience it all and see what it's like and see, you know, what comes up for you. What in your life do you think about when you hear me talk about these things? In any of the podcasts, that's a huge thing. I mean, that's, for me, that's why I find, and this I haven't talked about much in my spiritual practice, but as sort of a little epilogue to, my, to the protein part um, before, we, before we head out, is you know, this is why I find astrology to be so valuable, um, why I find tarot to be valuable, not because I believe that astrology is my sort of like religion or my like spiritual backbone or foundation or that tarot is, but more that what happens is say I look and I haven't really looked in a while because I, I haven't been quite as interested in it for a bit. I've been more interested in other areas of my spiritual practice, but you know, something like the CoStar app or something like that. When you read a horoscope, it is, at least for me, it is an opportunity to see what comes up for me when it, when it tells me that. So regardless of whether it feels correct or completely wrong or whatever, it's more about witnessing my reaction to the, the way that the astrology horoscope poses a particular fact of my existence. And so say I get really pissed off about it saying that, you know, you got to be really careful with the way you have your friendships right now and letting people in. And because a lot of the time you have a problem where people find that they can take advantage of you and I get pissed off about that. What does that say about how I'm perceiving my own experience right now? So it's not to say that that's necessarily correct or incorrect about my experience, but if I get pissed off of seeing that, what does that say about my relationship to how I think about myself? And so that, that is kind of what I mean by the difference between the objective experience of, of it saying, you got to be careful with your friends and me saying, no, I don't. You know, that's okay. If, if it's wrong, then it's wrong. But the subjective experience is something presents something to me that feels incorrect and it makes me angry at it. The subjective experience of that is recognizing that I have some tenderness, whether it's because it's correct and it and I'm angry because it's actually telling me something that's right about my experience or that I've heard that shit so many times and I'm tired of it. And it's time for me to let go of having that understanding of my friendships or something. And I, I'm totally going off the cuff here. I didn't get a horoscope like that or anything, but I've just had those types of experiences with horoscopes and all that shit. Uh, before and I found them to be very very valuable over time um, the more that I'm willing to open to myself and see that everything that I'm perceiving in a particular reading or a horoscope or whatever is a reflection of myself 
not not what they're telling me that's correct and and it's imposing on me because this is all my power when any spiritual practice you do that's all your power i mean it's you know it's all of our power but as god but it's your power that you are giving to somebody and so in my case if i give the power to somebody and let them make me angry what does that tell me about myself and the way that i engage with things it's really valuable um and same with tarot uh, i i did i've only done one tarot reading i guess i pulled three cards and i did a past present and future and i did it was something that uh, my brother sam was he had a great way of doing it that was really fun and i found to be really helpful and i and i realized it's it's super potent if i allow it to be which is the first card the past card and is how do you view the past through the lens of the present because everything is here now everything is present now and so if I pull a card and say that's the past, then it is the way that I'm perceiving the past through the lens of the present, because every, like I said, everything is present and then there's the present. So how am I, how do I perceive the present through the present right now? And then how do I perceive the future through the present right now? So that can change at any time. And so then what's great about it is how do I interpret the cards and feel like they are um, showing me something about myself or not? And either way, it's really valuable. It's a valuable spiritual practice and experience to have that conversation with yourself and witness yourself, witness your ego deal with this shit because it's not meant to make objective sense. If it was meant to make objective sense, then, you know, it'd be, I mean, you know, it, there wouldn't be a lot of value to it because it would, it would be more like, I don't know, like, I don't even know. It, it, it just wouldn't be even close. I mean, that's kind of why I didn't wasn't into astrology for so many years of my life. I thought it was dumb is because I thought it was all supposed to be objective. And that's definitely not the case. I mean, it's about recognizing that there's more going on that is bigger than yourself. And that in recognizing that there's more going on that's bigger than yourself, like, you know, the way that um, things are affecting you from the outside you realize that, oh, this is all my perception about how things are affecting me from the outside. And so I actually have, I give my power to these things to tell me what's going on within me so that I then have a renewed and interesting relationship with myself through my spirituality. Anyway, I could go on and on. I, I, maybe I'll do an episode at some point about astrology and, and tarot and sort of like the, the ways in which in a contemporary society, we are sort of engaging with our spirituality in interesting ways. Um, that are certainly, I guess, in some circles, controversial or, or piss people off, which, I mean, you know, that's a fun opportunity to learn about yourself. So um, that being said, this is a nice long episode, nearly an hour. What a great episode. Um, oh, man, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something out of this. I hope it gave you the chance to think about something that's going on in your life and in your incarnation and in your practice that you find to be interesting. I hope it piques some interest. And so you say, oh, he talked about something there. What, what is that? Let me check that out. Whatever it might be, lots of love to you. Bless you. Thank you so much for being here, for listening. And yeah, check me out on Patreon, you know? Good stuff's going on there. I updated a lot with music, with graphics, with all this kind of shit. And it's, it's been getting going. Um, and yeah, and, you know, ask me questions on there. And I'd love to just do like short little podcast things on there where we talk sort of in micro episodes or something like that. That'd be a lot of fun. So you can check me out there at patreon.com slash jack in the way.
it's always going to be that. But, oh man, what a good episode. <laughs> With that, I love you. Thank you so much for being here. It is such a blessing to be able to share myself with you like this. I'm going to continue doing this. Eventually, I'm going to have guests. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay? Here's to remembering who we are. Love you. Peace.